back to NLBMDA's Lumber Talks podcast. I'm your host, Allison Ward, NLBMDA's Senior Membership and Operations Associate. For today's episode, I'm joined by Jacob Carter, NLBMDA's Director of Government Affairs, for our Washington Update Briefing. He will walk us through the upcoming midterm elections and the potential shift in power in Washington. Jacob, thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome to the podcast for the first time since joining the NLBMDA team. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, without further ado, let's jump right in. So with the midterm elections being held next week, what is the outlook for the House of Representatives? Uh, That's a great question. Um, Quite clearly, the favorite right now is that Republicans are going to take control of the House of Representatives. And it's not so much a question of do they take control, it's uh, how many seats do they win by? Um, Current projections right now have them probably winning anywhere from eight to 10 seat majority past 218. Um, but they could get uh, anywhere from, you know, an extra 25 seat majority. Um, this will uh, uh, institute, you know, uh, change the balance of power in D.C. Um, Democrats will lose control of Congress right now. They hold both the House and the Senate in addition to the White House. Uh, and the moment the Republicans take over the, the House, uh, that will dramatically shift what's going on in D.C. Um, so, you know, Nancy Pelosi right now currently is Speaker of the House, uh, will no longer be in power in that position. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the lead Republican uh, from California, is likely to become Speaker of the House. Um, His uh, House Majority Leader will likely become Steve Scalise from Louisiana. And right now there's a competitive race to see who will become the uh, House Majority Whip. Um, Currently leading that race is Tom Member from Minnesota, who is currently the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Campaign Committee. Um, He's led that role twice now, two cycles in a row. He's been very successful at that. And uh, if you lead someone like the NRCC, uh, it's your job to recruit candidates to run for Congress. Uh, so you're recruiting freshmen, convincing them to run. Uh, and then you're also doling out party money to these candidates. So if they win their seats, as they're projected to do, uh, they owe you favors. And so um, Tom Emmer has collected those favors and is going to cash down and uh, step up in the leadership role there. Um, so Republicans will take the House of Representatives uh, on Tuesday, uh, foregoing a completely shocking outcome that you know would be reminiscent of 2016. Um, but uh, I, I think you'll see that Republicans are very eager to, to take control and they've, they've been preparing for it and they're already preparing the committee assignments and what they want to do uh, in D.C. Um, and so uh, it, it'll, it'll be a tough night for Democrats um, as they, uh, they're in damage control mode at this point on the House of Representatives. Gotcha. So jumping over to the other side of the Capitol complex, what's the outlook for the Senate? So the Senate this time around is extremely interesting. So well, with the House of Representatives, we kind of know that Republicans are going to take the House or just kind of try to gauge by how many seats they win the House. Um, in the Senate, it is a toss-up. So right now, Republicans have 50 seats, Democrats have 50 seats, um, and the tiebreaker goes to Democrats because they control the White House. So Kamala Harris, uh, vice president, is the tiebreaking vote. Um, and although that's a very tight majority, you know, usually not a lot gets done uh, with a 50-50 Senate, Uh, The fact that Democrats currently have the Senate has allowed them to get a lot of uh, important legislation through this past year. Um, They've got the Inflation Reduction Act passed through using budget reconciliation. Uh, They passed the Chips and Science Act. Um, They passed some notable pieces of legislation that if they were to lose the Senate, uh, uh, would just definitely not be possible. Um, So looking forward to the Senate at this point, uh, you know, there's really six key races to watch here that are going to dictate who controls the Senate in 2023. Um, Three of those seats are held by Democrats currently, and three are currently held by Republicans. So uh, maybe it's good to uh, go through them one by one. Um, so first off, uh, uh, one of the close races to watch, and one of the more fanatical races to watch, is in Georgia. 
So uh, right now, Georgia is run by two Democrat senators, which is unusual for Georgia because Georgia is a very historically Republican state. Um, they did vote Obama or Biden in 2020, um, but for the 20 years prior to that, you know, they've been voting Republican solidly. Um, so right now, Raphael Warnock uh, is up for re-election. He's an incumbent. He's a pastor. He's very well-spoken. Uh, he led the church that uh, Martin Luther King uh, was part of. Um, and he, 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 he's, a, he's a very strong candidate. Uh, however, Georgia politics have not been treated kindly over the last two years. Uh, he's running against Herschel Walker, which everyone might know him as a, a famous football star from the NFL in the 90s. Um, Herschel Walker notably got the endorsement of Donald Trump and became the front runner in the GOP primary for that race. Um, and Herschel Walker is a flawed candidate. He's not a, a pristine candidate. Uh, he's a political newcomer. He has not run for office before. And when you kind of watch him on the campaign trail, it kind of shows. And about four or five months ago, um, GOP consultants started freaking out a little bit because uh, they noticed that, you know, he's down in the polls by five or six points. Um, and, and he wasn't positive. He's making a, a, a lot of campaign errors uh, while he's giving stump speeches and things like that. But Republicans have done a great job of ushering in consultants to kind of walk him through those steps and, and to, to teach him how to respond to appropriate divisive questions in a more neutral way. Um, but there have been some controversies that have popped up in the last few months, you know. Uh, back in August and July, there was an interview that came out with his ex-wife that Democrats pounced on uh, and used as a campaign attack ad where she at one point had claimed that uh, domestic violence, that he had pointed a gun at her head. Um, and you saw uh, Herschel Walker's campaign go into damage control mode at that point. Um, in more recent months, uh, there's been accusations and allegations that Herschel Walker's had ex-girlfriends who come forward saying that he uh, had provided them with money and urged them to get an abortion after impregnating them. Um, and that's a big issue because Herschel Walker has been on the record for being against uh, uh, abortion, um, which obviously has become a national kind of issue with the uh, Supreme Court ruling decision earlier this year that overturned Roe v. Wade. So this has been a really kind of a national issue for Republicans running statewide and even in uh, House races, too. Um, Herschel Walker, though, is stubbornly, you know, is, is remaining very close in his polls. This race is as close as it can get. Uh, over the last few weeks, polls have been coming out that has Herschel Walker leading by a point or two. Um, but, you know, this, this is like a 46-45 type of race, where 46% of people responding are going for Walker, 45% are going for Warnock. Uh, no one really guarantees a win in a race unless they're polling above 50%. 50% of polls the magic number that you want to hit, and neither of them are hitting that point. So it's really going to turn out on uh, gap vote efforts, and um, these last few days are very interesting to watch. Um, and uh, if if Republicans couldn't capture this Georgia seat, uh, that'd be hurtful for them. You know, they might blame the candidate or they might blame the uh, nomination process behind it. Um, there'll be a lot of internal fighting there. But you know, Herschel Walker could very easily win this race. It's a, it's a coin flip at this point. Um, moving on to other races, uh, one of the very close ones as well is Nevada. That's uh, incumbent Senator Catherine uh, Cortez Masto. She's a first time senator. She used to be the Attorney General for Nevada eight years before that. She was first elected in 2016. Um, and she's running against uh, the Attorney General that succeeded her, Adam Woodsall, who's a Republican who served as Attorney General for Nevada from 2015 to 2019. Um, he's very far right. Uh, and he's been running a very competitive race. Um, Nevada's been a stubborn state for, for Republicans to win over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, Nevada went Obama in 28, it went uh, Obama in 2012, it voted for Clinton in 2016, and it voted for Biden in 2020. And Democrats have done a fantastic job of building a, a campaign machine there. Former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid from Nevada 
uh, was instrumental in that process. And they've done a great job of uh, consistently and reliably voting Democrat in statewide elections over the last 15 or 16 years or so. Um, that being said, uh, the dynamics have changed this year. You know, Biden uh, as president is running on uh, historically unfavorable low uh, numbers, approval numbers. Um, and Nevada is also, you know, we, 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 it's got a pretty large Hispanic population, which comes into play uh, when in 2016, when Trump is coming up and immigration was a big uh, hot topic issue. Um, that Catherine Cortez Masters, the first uh, uh, Hispanic senator, a uh, woman Hispanic senator to, to, to lead in that state, um, it's a big deal if Republicans can knock her off. Um, recent polls have result winning by one or two points right now. Uh, and that's been a pretty dramatic shift. Just you know, three or four months ago, Cortez Masto was winning by about two or three points in all the polls. Um, Republican moment, Republicans have gained momentum in the last few months uh, leading up to the election. Um, and this is going to be a coin toss, just like Georgia is. Uh, the third race that uh, Democrat, Democrats are defending, that's a big one, is in Arizona. Um, this is with uh, former astronaut Mark Kelly, whose uh, wife was a former member of Congress. Uh, from Arizona, who was actually, you know, uh, uh, attacked during a campaign speech and shot in the head and, and made a, a miraculous recovery, uh, but had retired from her seat at that point. And now her husband's a senator from the state. Um, and he's a fantastic candidate. Uh, he, he's very, he, he, he's likable, he's moderate, he's an astronaut. You know, it's, it's a tough person to run against. Um, but uh, he's running against Lake Masters, which is a hedge fund manager who worked for Peter Thiel, uh, one of the former co-founders of um, PayPal uh, and a billionaire investor in Facebook. Um, Peter Till has been single-handedly funding Blake Masters' campaign in Arizona um, and has given over tens of millions of dollars. Blake Masters is a young guy. He's only in his you know, mid to late 30s. Um, he doesn't have any real political experience. Um, Mark Kelly is probably projected to hold on to this seat, but it's been very close. It's been getting closer in the last few uh, weeks. Uh, so this will be a close race to watch. Uh, I would say Mark Kelly's probably going to win that seat, um, but it wouldn't be shocking or surprising if Blake Masters pulled it off. And it'd be a big victory for Peter Thiel, who's also uh, been very close in the Trump world, um, which might have some uh, uh, saying for what Peter Thiel does politically speaking and uh, activity-wise heading into 2024. I think um, going to the uh, last three seats that uh, are kind of close to watch in the Senate uh, are all currently held by Republican senators. Um, first is Wisconsin. Uh, that's right now held by Republican Senator uh, Ron Johnson. He's uh, running for his third term. Um, he ran originally in 2010 as an outside uh, member of the Tea Party movement. Uh, he's been, uh, he only at that point said he was going to run for two terms. Um, obviously, politicians change their mind sometime, and uh, uh, he's running for a third term now. Um, his likability and approval numbers in Wisconsin have been pretty low. Um, for an incumbent senator. And he's starting to claim the mantle or be given the mantle of a Washington insider, which is something that for the last 12 years he's run as an outsider. Um, but, you know, being in DC for so long, uh, it, it, that becomes an easy attack line for anyone running against you. And he's running against a guy named Mandela uh, Barnes. Mandela Barnes is right now the Lieutenant Governor out of Wisconsin. Uh, he, he's young, he's energetic. Um, he's a quality candidate. Uh, Wisconsin has been a very close, tricky state for both parties in recent years as well. It went Biden in 2020 very narrowly, but it went Trump by a percentage point over Clinton in 2016. Um, so this is a statewide race that can go either way. Um, about in July, 
uh, Mandela Barnes was leading in a lot of key polls in Wisconsin by anywhere from four to six points. One poll even had Mandela Barnes up by eight points in July. That was a marquee law school poll. That same poll now has Ron Johnson up by three points. Um, so the, the, the momentum has shifted there. And Ron Johnson uh, uh, pulled off uh, an upset against Russ Feingold, who is a former incumbent senator from Wisconsin, who tried to run back for his old seat six years ago in 2016. And Ron Johnson uh, similarly beat him. So Ron Johnson has been a very formidable candidate in Wisconsin. Uh, he, he, he's proven that he can go against the political headwinds and keep winning elections when you know the odds don't necessarily favor him. Um, I would probably say that Ron Johnson is positioned to win this race and probably will win this race and hold this race for Republicans. Um, the fifth race to kind of look at is uh, in Ohio. Um, similarly, just like Peter Thiel backed Blake Masters in Arizona, this time he's uh, backing J.D. Vance in Ohio. And if you've heard the name J.D. Vance, that's because in 2016, after Trump was elected, he became very famous for a book called The Hillbilly Elegy. Um, the Hillbilly Elegy was a, a book that tried to explain uh, middle America and, and people who voted Republican and Trump to the rest of America. Um, it put J.D. Vance on the map. He was known as a moderate back then. Uh, almost apolitical at that point. Uh, in the last two years, he's got political ambitions. And he's gotten the support of President Donald Trump, and uh, he nabbed the uh, Ohio nomination. And he's running against Congressman Tim Ryan. Um, and this is to replace Senator Rob Portman, a Republican senator who's retiring. So this is an open seat and a potential pickup for uh, Democrats. Um, that being said, Ohio's been a very hard place for Democrats to win. Um, so I think uh, the favored is definitely going to be uh, uh, J.D. Vance, um, Liz Cheney, who uh, just came out and uh, endorsed Tim Ryan, you know, Liz Cheney uh, from, uh, from Wyoming. That's a pretty big deal. And Tim Ryan has also run as someone who's not necessarily part of the Democratic establishment. He, he notably came out against Nancy Pelosi and said he would not vote for Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House two years ago. Um, so when Republicans try to attach him to uh, House Democratic leadership, he's got a way out of that. Um, that being said, I think the, the advantage definitely does goes to J.D. Vance, given the uh, political climate in Ohio and uh, the way that that state has swung uh, conservative in the last like, 10 years or so. Um, and then the final kind of race to watch and one of the most interesting races out there is in Pennsylvania. You know, Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican who's held that seat for a number of years, is retiring this year. It's an open seat, a pickup opportunity for Democrats. Um, and right now you're seeing uh, the the former Lieutenant Governor uh, or current Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman running for that seat. John Fetterman came uh, into national uh, notoriety in the 2020 election. Uh, after uh, Biden ran against Trump and after election day, Pennsylvania was a, a close count. They were counting votes for the week after that before they announced that Biden had won the state. And John Fetterman was on TV and MSNBC and CNN every single day, kind of leading that charge. He's a very vocal um, outsider uh, uh, kind of candidate. Um, John Fetterman at that point was a very good candidate, and I think Democrats across the country saw that he had um, an ability to speak well and also to speak to uh, on a common level um, and didn't necessarily have an elitist attachment to him. John Fetterman um, is running against uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz, which you might know him from the Dr. Oz show. Um, he's been painted as a carpetbagger, someone who's not necessarily from Pennsylvania, someone who's out of touch being a multimillionaire. Um, and for the first part of this campaign a year ago uh, or earlier this year, John Fetterman was handily beating Dr. Oz um, by, by significant margins. Polls were coming out five months ago that had Fetterman beating Oz by anywhere from seven to 10 points. Um, 
However, you know, it's got to be talked about. Five months ago, uh, John Fetterman had a had a stroke, um, and it's been a serious stroke. It's, it's affected his ability to talk. Uh, he's given speech impairment issues, um, and ever since he had that stroke, he's been off the campaign trail effectively. So you've had, you know, Mehmet Oz going around the state being able to attack uh, John Fetterman, and John Fetterman can't publicly really defend himself because he, he literally can't speak at this point. Um, so he's been off the campaign trail. And just two weeks ago, there's a notable debate between John Fetterman and Oz. Um, I would not have recommended that if I, if I was running uh, Fetterman's campaign, I would have told him not to go on the debate stage. Um, but it was quite clear from the outset that Fetterman was having speech issues um, and audio processing issues. And Oz looked very policy against him. Um, so Oz has uh, been someone that Republicans kind of were, were, were hesitant about at the beginning. He won the Republican nomination in Pennsylvania thanks to an endorsement from Donald Trump. Um, when he got that nomination, uh, Republicans in the state thought that he wouldn't be able to win the seat. Um, after Fetterman's uh, stroke, uh, the gamers and the political dynamics there have changed significantly. Um, Republicans have also kind of taken the mantle of polling on crime issues, and they have been battering Fetterman with that over the last three months and, and covering statewide air, uh, radio ads and TV ads, saying that Fetterman's soft on crime, and it's been working. Um, and so you've seen that poll, you know, where Fetterman was winning by eight to 10 points, you know, just, just four or five months ago. Uh, now there are polls that come out and have either Fetterman or winning by a point or two, or even have Oz winning by a point or two. Um, this is going to be a coin toss and one of the closest races in, 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 uh, in the country. And uh, it, might, it might take a few days to figure out who wins this race. But, you know, this race is, along with Georgia and Nevada, I think the three closest races here. Um, those are going to be the three to watch. So getting to the question that's on everyone's mind, how will these outlooks shift the balance of power in Washington? Well, if Republicans take and win control of the House of Representatives, they will effectually make President Joe Biden a lame duck almost immediately. Um, no consequential Democratic priorities or legislation will be able to move through Congress throughout the uh, next two years. Um, and House Republicans have already stated that they will launch you know, several investigations if they get control of all the House committees. Um, so I think you'll see Republicans uh, becoming an immediate thorn in the side of President Biden and Senate Democrats. Um, this will also turn into a campaign tool over the next two years as the presidential uh, White House races heat up over the next two years. Um, and so the key really question will come down to is if Republicans can take control of the Senate, you know, if Republicans take control of the House as they are predicted to do, but Democrats maintain the Senate, there are still things that President Biden can work with Senate Democrats to achieve. Um, a lot of these things might come in the form of approving and confirming federal judges or Supreme Court nominees. Um, so there's still some leeway that they can accomplish. And they can also use the Senate uh, control to negotiate uh, a lot of important things like appropriations um, with House Republicans that they'd be forced to do. Uh, however, if Republicans take both the Senate and the House, you know, that will completely stop the Biden administration from uh, moving forward with their pipeline of federal judge nominees. Uh, that will completely affect negotiations over things like the debt ceiling, over passing uh, spending bills over the next two years. Republicans will sit there and be able to uh, have a much larger negotiations with President Biden, um, and they'll be able to dictate the pace of, of legislation. 
Um, I think an important thing to consider is, uh, you know, the, the the race for the White House in 2024 is going to start earnestly uh, as soon as these midterms are done. Um, if you see Republicans take control of Congress, uh, you know, it's only you'll see by maybe May or June of next year in 2023, uh, Republicans start to announce their runs for president. Um, they're going to be eager to make the White House look weak, and they're not going to want to work with the White House because they don't want Democrats to keep control of the White House in 2024. Um, and then a big question then becomes is, will Joe Biden run for president again in 2024? Um, I personally think that he won't. Uh, right now, his approval numbers are already underwater. He'd be the oldest president running uh, by a long shot for in history. Um, and Republicans will be a thorn in the side if they control the House and or Senate. Um, so it, it'll make President Joe Biden a lame duck right away in 2023. And then Republicans will have their eyes in the White House for the next two years and they'll do everything that they can to uh, uh, make that possible. So they're not going to have any real incentives to sit there and work with Democrats in the White House. Um, and if Joe Biden announces that he's not running for president again sometime in 2023, you're going to see uh, the, the, the White House race heat up. Uh, starting mid 2023 on both sides. And once people start running for president, um, the whole kind of campaign politics takes over and legislation really comes to a grinding halt. So I think over the next two years, you're going to see uh, barely any pieces of consequential legislation move through. Obviously, you'll have things like the National Defense Authorization Act that needs to be passed. You'll have federal appropriations bills that needs to be passed, uh, as well as next year on the pipeline is the uh, farm bill uh, that needs to be reauthorized. It's a five-year piece of federal legislation that funds uh, hundreds of billions of dollars towards the energy departments and the U.S. agricultural department for a variety of programs. And that's usually a bipartisan measure that passes through. But besides that, nothing will get done in the next Congress. Uh, and, and Republicans will sit there and uh, hold their thumbs at the White House. Um, so this will dramatically change uh, what the next few years looks like. And I think you'll see President Biden become a lame duck very quickly. Well, thank you so much for that insight. I think it lays the groundwork really well for our listeners to have a deeper understanding in light of Tuesday or in preparation for Tuesday, I should say. So I appreciate your time coming on the podcast and giving us all a rundown. And I look forward to scheduling some time after the election to kind of recap everything that's gone on. Yeah, I think it'll be a terrific opportunity to uh, kind of see where the dust settles and uh, figure out what the next steps are for both parties and what the uh, strategic outlook will look like in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thank you so much for listening to the NLBMDA Lumber Talks podcast. Be sure to join us next time for more lumber and building material discussions.